You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series called Manly Encounters with Jesus, presented by Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Uh, We're going to begin a new series, and I don't know if this is the best title for it, Manly Encounters with Jesus. We're going to look at, for four weeks, we're going to look at four different men who had an encounter with Jesus, and they all had come from different backgrounds and had a different type of relationship with the Lord. Pilate, who was a politician, we'll look at that today. Um, next week, we'll, it's Easter, so we'll talk about the resurrection, but also Jesus' encounter with Lazarus, a dead man, and what happened there, and why was that such a fantastic event, and what is the Lord saying to us about life in him? The next week, Carl will be talking about doubting Thomas, Jesus' Jesus's encounter with a skeptic, and then the fourth week, um, Bill will be sharing with us Jesus' encounter with an unfaithful friend, and we'll look at Peter, who denied Jesus and yet becomes reinstated. After this series, Julie will be doing a series on four uh, women and their encounters with Jesus, and that's part of her book that she wrote um, called Jesus and Women, which is in the publishers or editing it right now, Thomas Nelson. It should be on the shelves, I don't know, sometime soon, so it's really exciting. Did someone say a date? One year. Awesome. So in February... So we're really excited to hear what she has been studying for a long time and writing about and reflecting on and sharing with us from that as well. But, you know, I wanted to talk about this because um, I think sometimes, I don't know, men, if you you can relate, but there's a lot of social pressure on men. Men to be good fathers and good husbands. And uh, along with that, we spend most of our time at a job eight hours a day with people that we necessarily wouldn't handpick to be around us for eight hours a day every day, right? And, and they're not always the most godly men, right, or women. And sometimes we have those, those we're standing around the water cooler and somebody tells a dirty joke and what do, you, what do you do? Do you come out and say, hey, I'm a Christian and I don't appreciate that? Do you, do you come out and say, I'm a Christian to begin with so everybody knows not to say those things around you? Do you just kind of not say anything at all? Do you join in with the joking? How do we, how do we be a man and, and still embrace Jesus? Is the, because our culture tells us that it's not a very manly thing to do. Our, to, our culture has this man look, right? And that's the way we're supposed to look. There's all these pressures for men. And I think women have um, social pressures as well. I don't know exactly all that they are because I'm not a woman, but I could tell you as a, from experience as a man, there's a, there's a lot of different pressure that's out there. How do we act manly and still be in love with the Lord? How do we live our lives for the Lord? That's the question we're going to look at today. And I want to look at Jesus' encounter with Pilate. Because it's a very interesting story. It is probably one of the most fascinating stories where there is irony all throughout the story. And there is juxtaposing characters given to us throughout the story. And what we'll see is Jesus who stands his ground as he talks with a politician. In the, in the scope, the arena where, where there's this political feeling, this political vibe where politics was expected. How does Jesus be a man, and live for the Lord. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 18, if you will. We're going to spend most of our time looking at the story in John chapter 18, but we will also um, look a little bit at the other gospel accounts as well. And just before we begin this story, let me give you a little bit of the context. 
and what's going on here. First of all, remember that Rome is in power. The Roman Empire is huge, and they occupy lots of different countries. And one of those countries that they occupy is Israel, Judea. And because they're so large, not only do they have an emperor who at this time is Tiberius, but they also have governors who are in, in power, and they rule different areas. And in Jerusalem, it was Pontius Pilate as well as Herod. Now, Pilate had quite a challenge in Israel because Pilate was, uh, he was a Roman guy, and he was the governor of a land that had a very distinct culture, a very distinct identity, a very distinct religion that was very different than the Roman Empire, and they believed that that land was their land, not the Romans. And so the culmination of the Jewish thought was that, you know what, one day God will come and wipe out the Romans from from this land, and we will have it to ourselves, just like what happened with Judah Maccabees and the revolt against the Greeks, where we celebrate the story of Hanukkah. So so he had a, a big challenge, because Pilate knew that the Jews hated them. The Jews felt that they were, they were, uh, this was evil that these people were occupying their land. And at the same time, Pilate hated the Jews. In fact, we hear about, we read about from Philo and Josephus, two contemporary historians at the time, that, that Pilate was a ruthless and relentless and vindictive type of guy. There are a couple of stories that are told. One of them is that uh, there was generally an understanding among the Roman leaders and the Jews that the Romans were not to bring in false idols into the city. So one night, Pilate has a brilliant idea. He, brings, he gets his soldiers to bring in these gold shields with Tiberius's image on them in the middle of the night while everybody's sleeping. And so he brings them in, and the next day, of course, the Jews are incensed about this, and they, they go up to Pilate, and it gets pretty heated. Finally, Pilate backs down. But one of the historians writes, he says, Pilate really wasn't interested in worshiping Tiberius. He really wanted to get under the skin of the Jewish people. Another instance that we read about, and this was probably Pilate's last straw in Israel, was that uh, the Samaritans wanted to go up to Mount Gerizim to worship. And Pilate, for whatever reason, he, he, did, he denied it. So he showed up with a bunch of soldiers, would not let them go up to the mountain, and then a revolt started happening, and Pilate ended up slaughtering a lot of those Samaritans. So Tiberius calls Pilate back to Rome to report what happened. By the time Pilate gets to Rome, Tiberius has passed away. But Pilate would never serve there in Israel again as governor, a real kind of ruthless type of guy. And I tell that to you because as you read this story in John chapter 18, and we're going we're to look at it from the lens, first of all, from the lens of the Jews and of Pilate, and you're going to see that Jesus is kind of a minor character in the story even though he's the one we focus on, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that really Jesus is just in the middle of it. But then we're going to look at how Jesus responds and four particular things that I think are really uh, applicable to all of our lives, men as well as women. So let's take a look at this. I'm going to break this down into scenes from the times where where Pilate comes and addresses the Jews to where he's addressing uh, Jesus alone uh, let's look at these different scenes. And we'll begin with scene one in John chapter 18. We'll begin with verse 28. 
see. Let me pull up the NIV here. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And by now it was early morning. So Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Remember, he went out to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was arrested there. He was betrayed by Judas. He was brought to Caiaphas, the high priest. This was all done in the middle of the night. And not only that, but the trials that were taking place were a big sham. It said that the testimonies that were given were just uncooperated. They proved false. It was just, it just sort of fell apart. So the Jews now bring Jesus to Pilate in the praetorium, in the, in the palace there. So they, by now it's early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges do you bring against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So real interesting things here. I mean, you see the hypocrisy already. The Jews don't want to enter in. By the way, these are the Jewish leaders. These are the, this is the high priest, the priests, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and so forth. And they don't want to enter the praetorium because that's considered unclean for them. They won't be able to celebrate the Passover. But what have they done the night before? Participated in all sorts of uncleanliness, bribery, and a big sham that was going on. They held illegal court proceedings. I mean, everything that was going on. But they don't want to enter the praetorium because that is uncleanliness. And why do they want to, and why do they want to bring him to Pilate? They want to bring him to Pilate because they want to execute him. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like those federal crimes that, are, that occur where they occur in multiple states. And what is, the, and, uh, what is you know, the feds, what do they want to do? Well, they want to try the person in the state where capital punishment is allowed, and also where they've had a history of executing criminals successfully. So they don't want to take them to a place where the jury might be, um, might be uh, passionate, sympathetic to the criminals. They want them to get justice. And here they bring them to, to Pilate because they want him to die. Well, you know, this is interesting, too, because it says... What charges do you bring against this man? If he weren't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Well, it's in, uh, it's in the Gospel of Luke that we read, but they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Now, as you, if you were to look at these four Gospel accounts, you notice some discrepancies. For example, Luke brings this up. John's Gospel says things like... Um, we would not hand, it was very, it's very uh, generic. There's nothing very specific about it. Luke even tells us that at this point, because he was from Galilee, that Pilate refers him to Herod, who then uh, has a trial with him, beats him up, and then brings him back to Pilate. And I think this is very, this is very interesting. On one hand, you have people who look at these discrepancies, well, the Bible can't be trusted because of these discrepancies. But my professor in college, he always looked at it this way. He challenged us to look at it this way. He says, he says, well, you know, when you have these type of minor discrepancies, it shows us that these, these people who wrote the Bible didn't come together to get their story straight and make sure all of their facts were lined up. In a sense, it has more credibility. If you think about it, these disciples were probably spread out through this mob 
they probably heard all sorts of different things because there's probably a lot of shouting going on. So, so we, can, we see this event from the lens of four different people, perhaps in four different places, who interviewed multiple people throughout when writing, this, uh, when writing these accounts. Well, let's move on to scene, chapter, or scene two, John chapter 18. And we'll begin here in 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did, some, did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but, my, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. A very interesting scene. We'll get into what Jesus' response is a little bit more in depth, but I want to focus on this part. You know, we look at verse 34 where Jesus says, is that your own idea? And we could think to ourselves, well, Jesus is being a little cheeky with the guy who has the power of life or death over him. Is that your idea, Pilate? Or did somebody have to tell you, you know? But on the other hand, if you read this account, Jesus hasn't told him he's a king. The Jews haven't told him he's a king. Somehow, Pilate got this idea that he's a king, Right? Now, if we read another, uh, one of the other Gospels, there's someone blurts out, and he's trying to be a king, and so forth. So somehow, this idea is circulating. I think Jesus wants to get to the bottom of it. What's your idea of me, Pilate? Do you think I'm a king? This is an important point. Because Pilate would hate to have a Jewish king, right? Because Pilate hates the Jews to begin with. The last thing he wants is, is this uprising led by someone who wants to overthrow him and the Roman government. And that's going to be a point that we're going to see throughout this story. Let's move on to the next scene. In John chapter 18, we'll begin with verse 38. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want to release, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Now you've got to love this, because now Pilate's going to get under their skin. And how is he going to get under their skin? He's gonna, they're rejecting him. He's going to call them their king. Would you like me to release your king, the king of the Jews? Well, that's going to make them really angry. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had, let, had taken part in an uprising. Now, the irony is extreme here. And the characters that are juxtaposing are, it's, it's insane. Because here the Jewish people are accusing Jesus of being a king and uprising. Pilate's concerned because if he is a king and creating some sort of uprising, he could overthrow him. But yet, who do they want released? They want to release a guy who was part of the uprising, right? So, so the Jews are like, and you'll see it later on. They're, they're like, no, we don't, we don't want this. Anyone who's a friend of, anyone who opposes Caesar uh, is no friend of Caesar, right? 
but yet they want this guy to go free. And uh, they want Jesus to be executed. I, I don't know how Pilate didn't see that. Maybe he did. You know, the other thing that's interesting about this is that Barabbas means son of the father. Isn't that interesting? Son of the father. And in, in I think, Matthew, in a later transition, this is not in the original um, gospel account, he's called Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas. Well, look at the two characters. We have two guys who are the son, who, whose name, you know, one is, his name is the son of the father. The other one is the son of the father. One wants to bring about Israel's uh, freedom by opposing Rome and by standing up and fighting with violence. Jesus wants to oppose sin and bring freedom for all, the Jews and the Greeks. In John 19, we keep reading this story. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him um, again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Now, if you've watched, how many of you guys watched The, the Passion of the Christ? Did, did you get the same impression I did that Pilate was sort of a sympathetic character in, in that movie? Right? Remember that he says to the soldiers, look, just go rough him up. And they take Jesus outside of the praetorium and beat him um, mercilessly and then bring him back up to Pilate. Remember, Pilate's like, what have you done? Like, I just told you to rough him up. You've basically, I, I don't even recognize this man. Remember that? Well, that's not what John says. John says that the beating take, took place inside the praetorium and that Pilate was at the front of it. That Pilate was the one doing the beating of Jesus. In, in Luke's gospel, we read that Herod also participated in it. When Jesus went to Herod, Herod was really excited about this because he's like, I've heard about this guy. Maybe he can do some magic tricks. But when he doesn't, they beat him up as well. Pilate is the one beating on Jesus. Why is he beating up Jesus? Well, let's take a look at this. First of all, he hates the Jews. And here's a guy that's brought to him, and nobody seems to like him. So why not beat up a Jewish guy, right? On the other hand, here's a guy who at some are saying is a king. So take a look at the next section in scene 5. In John 19, 4 through 7, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, it's pretty ruthless. He's innocent, but I gave him a really bad beating. I mean, this guy is ruthless. And when Jesus came, came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Or in other virgin, versions, Behold the man. And as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. You, you wonder why Paul, uh, Pilate chooses to say, Here's the man. Maybe because nobody would have recognized him. He was beaten so badly. But on the other hand, keep in mind that Pilate is trying, he's a politician. He wants to send a message. And the message to the Jews is probably this. If you decide you ever want a king, this is what I'll do to him. Right? So Pilate is a politician here. He really is trying to make a a number of messages and bring out his own agenda. He wants to keep the peace, but he also wants to show that he is in control. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me... I find no basis for a charge against him. And you might remember 
in some of the gospel accounts where he washes his hands of this. I wash my hands of this. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now that's true, because that would be blasphemy, except if he really is the son of God. And at this point, there's another twist in the story. At this point, we read in John 19, verse 8, then Pilate heard this. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Well, why is he afraid? He's afraid because for the first time, he's hearing more evidence about Jesus. And this evidence is that this guy is saying he is the Son of God. He is equal to God. And the last thing Pilate wants to do, because Pilate is a Roman, and Romans are polytheists, is to beat up a deity. And furthermore, we read in Matthew 27 that while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate's getting a little spooked, isn't he? In verse 9 we read, And he went back inside the palace and he said to Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Again, here's Pilate getting under the skin. Here is your king, he said. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. You talk about hypocrisy, and you talk about playing the political game. You see two people, two groups here that are doing it. The Jewish leaders would have never, ever in a million years, ever said that in their right mind. We have no king but Caesar. It's clear that they're saying this because they want to push their own agenda, and they are lying to Pilate. To prove that point, they have asked Barabbas, a guy who led an uprising, to go free on behalf of Jesus. Do you see how ironic this story is and how many different characters we have for this? So finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Now that's looking at the story from more of the lens of the political landscape between the Jewish leaders and Pilate. But I really want to focus on four things that Jesus does. Because, you know, sometimes I find myself in situations and I want, you know, how do I be a man of God? How do I be like Jesus? How, how should I be like him? Is it, is it manly to be like Jesus? Look at four things that Jesus does. First of all, in Pilate's encounter with Jesus, as he's talking with Jesus, you know, in some cases, we might, we might interpret Jesus' silence as um, being insubordinate or, or his, his responses as being a little bit cheeky. But I don't think that's the case. Because we read about, in, let's see, in verse... Um, In verse 34, he wants to know what Pilate thinks of him. He's concerned about Pilate. In chapter 19, 
Notice this. In verse 11, Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Why does he make that statement? Perhaps he makes that statement because he knows Pilate is spooked. He knows that Pilate is concerned that maybe he's doing the wrong thing here. And so Jesus begins to talk to him about sin. Pilate doesn't entertain much of it, but Jesus is reaching out to him. And, And really, when you think about it, us men, we often evaluate people based on what they do their occupation, maybe even their looks, maybe even the stuff they have. And, we, and, and you know, you, you think of, I'm better than that person, I'm not better than that person, he's better than me, stronger than me, whatever. You know, we size each other up in a certain way. And what Jesus does is he stands his ground. Pilate's expecting Jesus to beg for his life, but what he doesn't realize is that Jesus is trying to save him of his own, right? Jesus is the one reaching out to Pilate, and that's what he does so often. How about to the woman who was brought forth because of adultery and they wanted to stone her? And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. How about the woman at the well in Samaria where he talks to her about everything she has done? You know, he always has a way of being appropriate with pushing the right buttons. With Zacchaeus, the short little dude, right, who climbed the tree, the tax collector, And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to have dinner with you. Jesus meets with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. He meets people where they are. And the thing that I learned about this is that Jesus always saw people, not for the way we see people. He always saw people as eternal, immortal souls created in the image of God and in need of a Savior. And I, and I think, man, this is a big point for me because, gosh, how many times do I go just to the grocery store and I, you know, I just say hi to the person behind the counter, but I don't really see that. I see them as the person that's giving me my groceries and not as the person that's an immortal soul in need of a savior. Man, could you imagine what our conversations would be like if we, if we thought about that every time we encountered a person? The second thing that stands out to me about this story is authority. Authority. Pilate is a man who likes control. He likes to appear in control. He likes to be in control. He likes to do things that give him the upper hand. And in John 19, verse 10, when he says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You would not have power over me if it were not given to you above. How is it that that Jesus stays so cool in this situation? He doesn't blow up and say, Pilate, don't you realize what the Jews are doing to you? He doesn't go out to the Jews and say, don't you realize what Pilate's trying to do to you? He doesn't get involved in the political game. He stays above it. He treats Pilate like a man, like any other man. He doesn't beg for him. He doesn't bow before him. He doesn't plead for his life because he knows that God is in control. I love what the great Bishop Scott Schuler said last week. <laughs> what he said, what he said uh, this, I just thought this was brilliant. It was, there are really only two conclusions we can come to about circumstances, right? Either God orchestrated them, or God allowed them to happen. 
Isn't that, I mean, that's so profound. It's like, oh, duh, right? And we're like, wow, that's, that's deep, that's profound. And Jesus says that. He says, you would not have this authority if it were not given to you. Jesus understands that his kingdom is from another realm, and that's what he says in John 18. You find that verse, John 18. There at the end, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus knew that God was in control. He knew that his kingdom was elsewhere. It was not of this world. It was not fighting with the Romans or fighting with the Jews. It was of another place. It was different. Jesus stays above it. He knows that God's authority trumps man's. Jesus knows, he recognizes that God's authority trumps man. Well, the third thing I want to talk about is one of the most interesting things that Pilate says, in my opinion, in chapter 18, verse 38. What does he say? He says, what is truth? What is truth? There's a, there's a beautiful cathedral in Barcelona. It's in the process of being built for the last hundred years. It's uh, by Antoni Gaudi. It's called La Sagrada Familia. It's also known as the Unfinished Chapel. It's this gorgeous neo-Gothic cathedral, and there's, it's slated to be, to be built in 2026. I think there's going to be 14 towers, and th- those are the small ones. I mean, it's, it's just enormous, right? And at the, they have four entrances, as pretty typical with the cathedral, with the cross. You have four entrances, and each one depicts a portion of Jesus' life. And of the one that, that uh, depicts the passion, there, there's a picture of Jesus holding onto the statue. You can see the kind of the neo-Gothic look. But those are doors, and on the doors are engraved, is engraved this passage in John, John 18 and 19. And it's, a, and it's all in Catalan, which is the language of the region of where Barcelona is, Catalonia. And I don't know if you can see it in gold there. Que es la veritat? And then on that side it says, Jesus de Nazareth. Rey de los Judios, right? King of the, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. If you take a closer look, que es la veritat. Those of you who have known Spanish or Latin know what that means. What is truth, right? What is truth? It's remarkable that Pilate says this. Jesus, his, his, he said, you, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate responds. Now, maybe he's saying, well, what is the truth that you're bringing to the table? But he says, what is truth? And I got to think to myself, you know, Pilate is not a dumb person. He didn't get this really important job by failing out of schools, by failing as a soldier or anything else. He probably demonstrated uh, leadership. He demonstrated understanding. He demonstrated a lot of things that Tiberius would say, this is the guy for that difficult region. Maybe he was trying to make Pilate's life miserable. Who knows? But perhaps he really saw something in Pilate. And Pilate probably understood a lot of the Roman policy and everything like that. Well, isn't this so? This is, this is just the political landscape, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the elections and, or the campaigns and all of this stuff. I just kind of roll my eyes. Um, and I really have no, you know, I'm an independent and, you know, I'm just I'm going to vote for the best person, I think, for the job, whatever. And uh, I, whatever. So... But, you know, one guy that I really like is Ron Paul. And I know people like, Ron Paul, you know, why don't you legalize marijuana too? You know, all of that stuff. I'm, a, I'm kind of a fan of Ron Paul. 
and, and the thing that I find refreshing, I don't agree with everything he says, like I don't agree with everything any politician says, but the thing I like is that Ron Paul has gotten up there and he said stuff like, you know what, that's not constitutional, so we're getting rid of it. I would get rid of it. I'd get rid of the Department of Education because that's not a part of the Constitution. And, and everyone's like, well, you can't do that. You know, we've gone too far. We can't go back. You know? And it, it's just interesting because really you, there's two thoughts here. And it's not just Ron Paul and you know, the others that are in this. But really, there are those who say, well, if it's not part of the Constitution, we shouldn't be doing it. And others who say, well, you know, but we've come this far this way that we can't go that way. You know, we can't just you know, take, out the, take out the rug. Because really, a lot of times what, what happens in political landscapes is that convenience will trump truth. It doesn't matter what they learned in law school or in all these policy things. When they got to Washington, they realized there's a certain way to do something. And they have to play by the game in order to keep their jobs. Right? Whether or not it's true or not has little consequence. And that's the thing that you notice with Pilate. He is a politician. So he doesn't care about what's true, and that's so interesting because he's going to sit on that judgment seat where he's supposed to care about what is true and what's not true. But what he cares about is peace and keeping the status quo and not upsetting the basket. And it's like he's telling Jesus, look, hey, I think you're innocent, but you know what? The bottom line is I don't care. The bottom line is I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever I feel and deem as necessary in order to keep things running like the machine that we have here. What is truth? And so when you compare Jesus to Pilate, you see someone very different. Because Pilate is a guy who is going to sacrifice truth for comfort. Jesus is a guy who knows the truth, and that the truth is that all men need a Savior, and that he came in the world to be the Savior of mankind, and that there is no salvation, no remission of sins, without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus is going to give up comfort in order for the truth. Pilate is sacrificing truth for convenience. Do you see the difference between the two? In fact, we read in Philippians 2, it says this in verse 6, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the truth. And he stands for the truth even when it means his convenience is on the line. The last thing I want to point out here is that Pilate makes three declarations about Jesus to the Jewish people. Three declarations to the Jewish, to Jesus, about Jesus to the Jewish people. The first thing he says, at the end of chapter 18, he comes out and he says, I find no fault with this guy. He declares his innocence. The second thing he says, he comes out and says, Behold the man. Now that's quite a thing to say. And I think it's one of those moments where God starts speaking through a donkey, you know what I mean? Where he doesn't realize what he's saying, but he's going to say it anyways. Behold the man. And the reason why I say that is because what, when God created the world, and on the sixth day, when God created Adam, he said, behold the man, right? We often refer to Jesus as the second Adam. Adam was perfect. 
He was as God wanted him to be. He was created in the image of God. He was without sin. He was awesome. But Adam fell. Adam put himself, pride, before God, before following the rules, before being obedient. But then Jesus comes to redeem Adam's race, right? And we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. I love that verse. I love that verse. So what is he saying? Pilate is declaring, behold the man. In other words, Jesus is the perfect representation of what it means to be a man. Jesus is the perfect representation of what it means to be a man. When this world throws out images of what it means to be a man, we can accept those and try to mold our life around those. Or we can say, you know what, that's just not true. Because Jesus is the perfect representation of what it means to be a man, and I don't care what this world thinks about me and me wanting to be like Jesus. And the third thing that Pilate says about Jesus is he says, Behold your king. Now, of course, he was saying that to get under the the skin of the Jewish people, but wasn't it the true statement? Behold the man, behold your king. Behold your king. Jesus is worthy to be trusted. He has triumphed over death. He has defeated sin. He is the only one worth following and worth putting our life investment into. So, just as summing up, you know, what does it mean to be clothed with Christ? What does it mean to be a man of God? And I think just these four things really stand out from this story. Treating each person as an eternal soul, created in the image of God, and in need of a Savior. Living, knowing that God's authority trumps man's. God is in control. Holding to the conviction of truth rather than settling for convenience. And the fourth thing is recognizing that Jesus is the perfect representation of what it means to be a man. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.